0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Take your Bibles with me, if you would, and open them to the book of Revelation, chapter 6. On October 17, 1555, two godly men met for a grim purpose on the north side of Oxford, England. These two men were, in many ways, quite different, but they had a powerful bond. Nicholas Ridley was an intelligent, well-educated man. He had earned a Doctor of Divinity degree, he was a powerful preacher, and he lived a blameless life. He enjoyed playing chess, and every day he spent hours studying God's Word and praying. He was a pattern of godliness and virtue, as John Fox says in the Book of Martyrs that bears his name. Even when Ridley was imprisoned for his faith, he continued to be used by God to encourage and challenge others through the letters that he wrote to them. Hugh Latimer had been saved while in college and had become eager to see others saved as well, preaching publicly the unpopular truths about salvation He continued to preach Christ faithfully for many years, despite facing sharp uh, opposition, persecution, and imprisonment. Hugh Latimer was nearly 70 years old that October day when he and Nicholas Ridley were led to a spot very near this cross. To this day, this simple memorial marks this place where these men were burned at the stake for their faith in Christ. When they arrived at the spot, Ridley and Latimer embraced, and Ridley told his elder Christian brother, "'Be of good heart, brother, "'for God will either assuage the fury of the flame "'or else strengthen us to abide it.'" They were chained to the stake, and as the fire was lit, Latimer called out to Ridley, "'Be of good cheer, Ridley, and play the man. "'We shall this day, by God's grace, "'light up such a candle in England as I trust.'" will never be put out. Those two men died that day. Two lives taken. Two lives, some might say, wasted. But were they wasted? Nicholas Ridley and all that education, those gifts of communicating the truth, and a pure testimony went up in flames. Hugh Latimer, at nearly 70 years old, should arguably have been enjoying the last years of his life in peace, but instead, his life, too, was stolen. So were their lives squandered? Was the blood shed that day wasted? Well, no, it was not wasted. The blood of martyrs is not wasted. And tonight, as we continue our study of the book of Revelation, we will see why that's the case. Over the last few months, we've been taking some time to consider the person of Jesus Christ as he is revealed in this last book of the Bible. It is, after all, called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. last time we were in the book of Revelation together, we looked at chapter 5, and we saw the Lamb. We considered his incredible sacrifice and his worthiness of worship. As we move on from chapter 5, however we discover something about this worthy lamb that may shock you. Remember in chapter 5, there was a book uh, or or scroll with seven seals on it. And the lamb was the one who was found worthy to open the seals of the book. Well, as we enter chapter 6, we find out what happens when those seals are opened. And we find that chaos and destruction are unleashed... In staggering measure, we meet the legendary four horsemen of the apocalypse as we enter chapter 6. And seemingly everything in nature is turned on its head. And in response to the destructive chaos that's unleashed upon the earth, Revelation 6 tells us in verses 15 through 17 that the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man In case you didn't catch that, that's everyone. All the leaders, all the people who are respected and look up to, but also all the way down to the bondmen. This is everyone together. Hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? The wrath of the Lamb. That phrase has always caught my attention. We don't put those two ideas together, do we? But the Lamb that was slain is unleashing wrath like the earth has never seen. And we find that throughout this book of Revelation. But why? Why? But we will see in this book over and over that Christ is the judge and that he is pouring out just wrath. His wrath is poured out on the earth in full measure in the book of Revelation and the results are staggering. But why? Why such wrath? Why such judgment? Well, there are several reasons and I want to take a few messages to explore them because it's such a major theme in this book, but I wanna look at one of those reasons tonight. You're in Revelation 6. Take your eyes with me to verse nine, as the fifth seal of that terrible book is opened. The Bible says in verse nine, and when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also, and their brethren, that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. So as this judgment is being unleashed, it seems like the 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 perspective all of a sudden shifts here. It's talking up to this point about one judgment after another that's being unleashed on the earth. And immediately after this, we turn to more judgment being unleashed on the earth. But as this fifth seal is opened, we turn to see these martyrs. And you know, the history of the Church of Jesus Christ is a bloody one strewn throughout church history, are martyrs. And I hope you understand that today is no different. All the way from the death of Jesus Christ himself up to the present day, in every generation, Christians like Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer have given their lives rather than renounce their faith in Christ. And here we see them in Revelation 6, crying out to God, calling out to him. They've shed their blood, but is it wasted? Well, the book of Revelation helps us see that it is not wasted for two very compelling reasons. The first we find here in Revelation 6, in those verses we just read. Their blood is not wasted because it is remembered. Where do we find these martyrs? Well, the Bible tells us they're under the altar. They're in the presence of God. So has God set these martyrs aside somewhere where he's forgotten about them? No, not at all. They're in his presence. They're close to him. And as they call out to him, we see that his answer comes directly to them. They are remembered. When they cry out for vengeance, it is clear they have not been forgotten. Every drop of blood is remembered. Remember in Genesis 4, the first family issues that we see between Cain and Abel that end in Cain killing his brother? In anger, he lashes out against him. Well, God comes and he confronts Cain about his sin, and what does he say? He says, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. God saw it. God knew that blood cried out to him. The Old Testament talks about God avenging the blood of his servants, the people of Israel. We could go to passages today, we won't for the sake of time. But where it talks about God avenging his servants... He doesn't forget the suffering that's happened. He doesn't forget the, blo- the innocent blood that has been shed. It is remembered, the Lord remembers. Jesus made it clear in Matthew 23 that he had not forgotten the blood of his servants who'd been killed by the Jews. Matthew twenty three thirty four through 35, wherefore behold, I send, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes and some of them ye shall kill and crucify. And some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Faithful servants of God, all the way from the time of Abel, all the way up until he traces to the prophet Zechariah. One of, if not, one of the last prophets of the Old Testament, if not the very last one to be ministering. And he says, their, their blood is remembered. Their sacrifice is remembered. Their faithfulness to death is remembered. Deuteronomy 19 gave the people of Israel the law regarding cities of refuge. And these cities were set up so that if someone unintentionally killed someone else, they would have a place to run. Say you there's an accident on in the workplace, and in, in a, you know, people are working together, um, something slips, something falls, somebody makes a mistake, and somebody else is unintentionally killed. Well, imagine a brother, a, a father, a son saying, I'm not going to let that go unpunished and coming after the person who caused that to happen. Well, the Jews were given cities to run to where if they had unintentionally killed someone, they could run there and they would have refuge from the avenger of blood. That one who was coming after them would not be allowed to come, come after them for revenge if they were inside one of those cities of refuge. But Deuteronomy 19 tells us If any man hate his neighbor and lie in wait for him and rise up against him and smite him mortally that he die and fleeth into one of these cities, then the elders of the city shall send and fetch him thence and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. Thine eyes shall not pity him, but thou shalt put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel that it may go well with thee. In other words, if this was not an accident, if somebody intentionally killed somebody else, they had no place of refuge in those cities. And the elders of the city would turn them over to the avenger of blood. Well, God is the great avenger of blood. And one day, he will put away all that guilt of innocent blood. Christ is the avenger of the martyrs. And every drop of blood shed by one of his will be avenged. It is remembered. There will no, be no city of refuge to protect the guilty in that day. You know, this is later on in Christ's judgment, but Revelation 14 is telling along, the, along these lines. It, it begins in, uh, I'll begin in verse 12. It says, Here is the patience, or the endurance, of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. The martyrs. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the throne, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven he also having a sharp sickle I'm sorry yes yeah, that's right another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven he also having a sharp sickle and another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle saying thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe and the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Now, obviously, that's a, a graphic depiction. We are grateful for the language that uses a picture to talk about this judgment. Because if we saw it spelled out, it would be gruesome. God thru- is thrusting the sickle to reap the earth, to, for his wrath to be shown in full measure on the earth. His winepress of wrath is filled to overflowing. Judgment falls in full measure. And it's interesting to me that it's connected to the martyrs. Verses 12 and 13 talk about those martyrs. Talk about those who have died in the Lord, who have stayed faithful to death, and it says their works do follow them. So we ask the question, why such wrath? Why the wrath of the Lamb? We like to talk about the love of the Lamb We like to talk about the grace of the Lamb. We like to talk about the sacrifice of the Lamb. And those are all such wonderful truths. But what about the wrath of the Lamb? Why wrath? Well, one of the reasons is he's avenging the blood of his servants. It is interesting how verses 12 and 13 here reflect on the character of those who give their lives for Christ. And then the Bible goes on to tell of the judgment that will fall. They are connected. And God's wrath is poured out in response to the death of his faithful martyrs. In the second century, an 86-year-old man approached a stake that was not unlike that one that was used to burn Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer to death. This man's name was Polycarp. The proconsul who held the authority to see the execution completed or to call it off Urge the elderly man. Swear and I will release thee. Reproach Christ. We could use the word recant. Turn on Christ. Blaspheme him and we'll let you go. Surely this man's heart was pained to see a man who is so advanced in age about to meet such a horrible death. But Polycarp's answer was strong and unwavering. He said, 80 and six years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who hath saved me? And he went to his death. And Christ watched. The lamb saw every agony and has treasured up the sacrifice that dear man made that day. And one day, his death and the death of the other martyrs will be avenged. But did you notice what happens in Revelation 6? The time of judgment has begun to come. Those those seals are being opened. Wrath is beginning to be poured out on the earth. It's, It's judgment time. But what is the message in that chapter to the martyrs? Is it that the time of revenge, the time of vengeance has come? No, it says, It was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also, and their brethren, that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. What was God's message to them? Wait. Even when we reach Revelation 6, God makes it clear the martyrdom has not finished. And God's purposes through his martyrs have not yet been completed. And that brings us to the other reason the martyr's blood is not wasted. It's not wasted because it is remembered, but it's also not wasted because it waters the gospel seed. There is a reason God shows such patience even this close to the end. We're in Revelation, and yet God is still, still says, wait. Why? Well, Romans 9 is one of the passages that sheds light on that, on that concept. It says in verses 22 to 24, What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, stop there for a moment, that's what's going to happen in the book of Revelation, right? God is going to show his wrath. He's going to make his power known. There will be no question about how God feels about what's happened to his servants. And that's not the only reason his wrath will be poured out. We'll look at some of those reasons later on as well. But God's wrath will be shown. His power will be shown. But it says, what if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vast vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had before prepared unto glory, even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. God is willing to show his wrath. God is not going to be holding back saying, I don't really want to pour out my wrath on the earth. I don't really want to for this to happen, but I guess I have to. No, he's willing to do it. God is willing to judge sin. He is willing to show his wrath when it comes to this matter of his martyrs, when it comes to the matter of sin. He is willing to do that, and yet, he's long-suffering. Why? He's patient, even with those who will reject him, even with those who are going to spend eternity separated from him. Why? So he can show his grace and his mercy To us. Because God still wants to save sinners. And so he is holding back the full wrath, even when we come to Revelation 6. Why? Well, one of the reasons he's holding back is that he wants to continue to save those who do not deserve his salvation. He wants to continue to show mercy to those who deserve wrath. He continues to have long-suffering and patience even as we're this close to the end. That's amazing to me. God is long-suffering. As Peter tells us, He is long-suffering to us. we not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We talked about those verses this morning. Um, in our classes, we were talking about Noah, the judgment that fell on the earth. Why does God not send another flood to destroy everything? Because we don't deserve it anymore? Not at all. The world is full of sin, just like it was in Noah's day. But why does God do it? Peter tells us he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. He's continuing to show his patience. He's continuing to show his mercy. He's continuing to... Do the work of the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ in hearts. And that's why we don't see another worldwide flood. That's why God is holding back the judgment. He's holding back the wrath. And that's one of the reasons that he holds back here in Revelation 6. And he's using his martyrs in this work. Gospel proclamation does not come to an end with the loosing of the seven seals. Revelation 11 introduces us to two witnesses. Interesting, by the way, that the Greek word for witness is the root for the word martyr in the English language. There's a a connection there. But there are two witnesses, and for three and a half years they give testimony to Christ. They back up their message with miracles, but they preach. And guess what happens to those two witnesses? They're ruthlessly murdered. And for three and a half days, their bodies lie in the street. Until God miraculously raises them from the dead and calls them up to heaven. But even Revelation eleven, we're not, we're not even there yet. Alright, there's there's lots of stuff that's going on between now and then. But even there, still God has his witnesses who are sharing the message, who are pointing people to Christ. Now, for some, it will be too late, but God is continuing to share that message, even in Revelation 11. Even when we get to Revelation 14, I, I read those verses from that chapter earlier where the, the sickle is thrust in, the wine press is filled to overflowing with the wrath of God. Well, right before that happens, there's one last gospel message. God sends an angel that preaches the everlasting gospel through the earth, even then, when God is about to, no kidding, unleash it all, he's continuing to share that message. And God, you know, we look at God's heart, and we look at these martyrs, Is God saying it doesn't matter that they've given their lives? Generation after generation, Christians have have died for my sake, and it doesn't matter that much to me. Is that what he's saying by holding back? No, his heart is broken by that pain. They are joining in the sufferings of Christ. Christ. And yet it matters to him enough that the gospel would continue to go into the world. That he is willing to see his children killed for their faith, tortured for their faith, trodden underfoot for their faith. Why? So that the gospel can continue to be proclaimed. God cares that much about the gospel going into the world that he's willing to see his children go through all of that so that message can keep going into the earth. That is staggering to me. That's how much that message matters to God. And God is using the death of his servants to further that message. And we could look at multitudes of examples throughout history, but I think one of the most compelling is arguably the first Christian martyr. In Acts chapter seven, a deacon named Stephen, is hauled before the Jewish council on charges of blasphemy. He's allowed to give a defense, and his defense reveals that his only crime is the recognition and declaration of Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of prophecy and the proper object of worship. The august body, were so enraged by Stephen's words that they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And as Stephen kneels and gives in to the rain of rocks that's descending on him, he calls out, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Why would he call out such a thing? If we were being killed for following Christ, would we not say, Lord, avenge my death? And yet Stephen cries out, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Why? Because Stephen understood God's heart. He recognized the long-suffering of God, the purpose of God to give mercy and salvation even to these who were Stephen's accusers and murderers. And verse 58 of Acts 7 tells us, the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. Well, later that man, Saul, would remember Stephen's death. In fact, I think it haunted him. He would tell an audience in Acts 22, And when the blood of of the martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. But in that same chapter, Saul, now called Paul, tells of how he met Jesus, who completely transformed his life. And who can say, what impact the death of faithful Stephen had on the life of this man, Paul, who would himself one day also lose his life as a martyr. Does it not appear that Stephen's blood watered the gospel seed in Paul's heart? The blood of martyrs is not wasted. God remembers. One day that blood will be avenged. But also, God often uses that blood to lead others to himself. Christ is truly the avenger of martyrs. But you might ask, what is there in that message for us? I dare say none of us are on the precipice of facing martyrdom. So what can we glean from this message? What, what can we glean from this truth about the character of Christ? Well, first of all, though this may seem dramatic or morose, none of us knows what suffering, even to the point of martyrdom, any of us will face. We don't know. I am grateful that it's not hanging over our head in this country, that we have the freedom that we do, But who knows where the Lord may lead us? Who knows what situations the Lord may put us in? This may be something that we need to face. So you, need, you ought to consider, I believe this evening, your own martyrdom. If you knew today that tomorrow you were going to die for your faith, how would your heart be prepared? Would you be able to say with Polycarp, He never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? Those are easy words for me to say tonight, standing up here in front of a group of people who have willingly come to worship the Lord. Remember where Polycarp was when he spoke those words. He was facing a stake, knowing that he was going to be burned to death. And in fact, if you read the account of his death, it was, it was not easy. It was not certainly not pleasant. It was prolonged. He knew what he was facing, and yet in the face of that, he said, He has not wronged me. How can I turn my back on him? Is your heart prepared that way tonight? Now, I understand that God gives us grace for the things that we face, and I believe that God gives special grace to his martyrs as they face those moments. But are we prepared? Understanding that God sees and God uses the persecution and martyrdom of his children is vital in preparing us for what we may face. We need to understand If one day we face persecution, if one day we face martyrdom, we need to understand that God sees, he remembers, and he can use our suffering, our death, to further the work of his word. So we ought to consider tonight our own martyrdom. But these truths also help us with how we look at the suffering and martyrdom of our brothers and sisters around the world. How do you look at the martyrdom of others? Because as I mentioned earlier, this is reality for believers in many places around the world. I believe that it is right and proper for us to be aware of the persecution that's going on around the world. And I'm thankful that we take a Sunday each fall to highlight the suffering of our brothers and sisters in Christ, to pray for them, to weep for them, but we should not weep in the sense that we see their suffering as pointless or consider that the wrongs inflicted on them will not be made right. We need to recognize, as so many of them understand so much better than we do, that God is using their suffering. When you look at a prayer list from those who are going through persecution, rarely will you ever see A request to pray that the persecution will be lifted. Because they recognize God is using it. Do they need grace to endure? Do they need strength to stay true to Christ? Absolutely. But they understand that their suffering, their death, is a tool in God's hand to further the work of his gospel. And some of the places where the gospel is most prospering and most being spread are the places where Christians are most often persecuted and killed for their faith. So we should weep for them, sorrow with them, but we should also recognize that God is using what they're going through and pray that they will have grace to be like the martyrs of old who publicly proclaimed their faithfulness to Christ even in the midst of suffering and death. God is growing his church, not despite the deaths of his children, but through their deaths. The blood of martyrs is not wasted. But these truths truths we've considered... Uh, make, cause me to be challenged by another thought as well. What do the things we've considered tonight teach us about the priority of the gospel message? And I talked about this earlier, but God is willing to see his precious children cut down. He's willing to withhold judgment from their persecutors for a time. And why? For the sake of the gospel. The Bible tells us that God is angry with the wicked every day. His wrath burns. And yet, he is long-suffering. Even to the very end, until the final judgment falls. Why? Because he wants to rescue souls from an eternity in a lake of fire. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His desire is for the salvation even of the worst persecutors, even of the worst murderers of Christians. God is long suffering. God is withholding the wrath that righteously burns against those who are killing and torturing and persecuting his children because of the gospel. Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer perished in flames. For what purpose? We shall this day, by God's grace, light up such a candle in England as I trust will never be put out. They wished to light a candle, to shed light in their land, to lead men to the light of the world. These two men endured the flames because they wanted their fellow countrymen to escape an eternity of flame. And they hoped in some small way that their deaths would point others to the Savior for whom they willingly gave their lives. They gave up their lives because of the priority of the gospel. They gave up their lives to light a candle in England. What is the priority of the gospel to God? This surely teaches us something about the priority that God places on the gospel message. It tells us something about the priority his martyrs place on the gospel message. And it begs the question what about me? What about you? I am grateful tonight that the blood of the martyrs is not wasted because no sacrifice made for Christ is ever wasted. I am grateful that Jesus Christ is the avenger of martyrs and one day every drop of blood shed will be avenged. One day his wrath will be poured out in full measure and that is good and that is righteous and that is pleasing to God. I am grateful for that today. I am grateful that Jesus Christ sees that suffering. He sees that death. I am grateful that he is treasuring up wrath. But I am grateful that he's long-suffering. I am grateful that he endures with his children. He walks with them through suffering and death so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can go into this world. A message like this might seem like something that is, is far from our lives. We aren't facing the stake. We aren't facing people who are trying to stone us for our faith. We aren't facing the horrible deaths that so many martyrs faced for Christ. We don't face those things. And depending on what parts of the world you hear from, and what sort of news you hear, you might not be facing it by seeing it happen in the world around you either. And we might say, what does all this about martyrs have to do with me? Well, it can cause us to ponder the question: Am I willing to lay down my life for Christ? If I was called upon today, tomorrow to lay down my life for Christ, would I be willing? What would it take for me to recant my faith? What would it take for me to renounce Christ? What would it take for me to blaspheme his name? Or would I stand with him faithfully? Would I give testimony to him and his grace all the way to the end? Am I willing to lay down my life for Christ? And that is a good question to consider, but let's be honest. That's an easy question to consider because it's so hypothetical. And it's easy to say in my heart, sure, I'd be willing to lay down my life for Christ, because I'm not facing it, because I don't see it in my future. So perhaps the better question asked tonight is, am I laying down my life for Christ? The test of faithfulness to the Lord is not so much, would I die for him, but will I live for him? These martyrs died for the sake of the gospel. Will I live for the sake of the gospel? Knowing that God sees, knowing that God is holding back his wrath for one purpose, to see his word, the gospel of his son, go into this world. Will I give my life to that purpose? Will I suffer inconvenience? Will I suffer embarrassment? Will I go through something that's uncomfortable or risk a relationship with someone else being affected for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? When thousands before me have sacrificed their lives for that very gospel. Including my Savior, Jesus Christ. So I hope you're willing to lay down your life for Christ. But I also hope that tonight you are laying down your life for Christ. And this is a challenge for all of us. This is a challenge for me. This reminded me of the priority that God places on the gospel. That even as judgment is falling, even as wrath is being poured out, he still cares, he's still reaching out, he's still showing his grace, he's still showing mercy, he's still letting his children be killed for the sake of the word of Jesus Christ, for the sake of more souls being saved, for the sake of filling up the Gentiles, as Pastor Radice talked about this morning. He wants every soul that is his. He wants no soul to perish. Let's pray together. Our Father, I thank you so much that every martyr of all time has been able to look to Jesus Christ, the one who endured not just physical suffering, not just a a torturous death, but endured the darkness and separation of sin. Of all sin of all time in his body on the tree for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the salvation that you offer to the world. Father, it's staggering the sacrifice Jesus Christ made. It's staggering how the sacrifice of Christ has been filled up over the centuries, over the generations by the sufferings of your children. And we know that even tonight, that suffering is not done. There are still those who are to give their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ, who are to give their lives rather than renounce their faith in you. Father, help us all be willing to face whatever reproach or persecution, even to the point of martyrdom that you would have us face. Father, help us day by day to live in light of the priority that you place on the gospel. Father, we are so far off base so much of the time. And when we step back and we look at your purposes, we look at what you're doing, we look at why you're doing what what you're doing, your motivation so often is so far different from ours. Help us, likewise, to be committed to the gospel. Help us to be committed to you. And help this also to motivate us to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are facing persecution and martyrdom tonight. Thank you that Jesus Christ is the avenger of martyrs. We pray this in his wonderful name. Amen.